0: Welcome to the Off on a Tangent podcast, the podcast where I go on a deep dive into the TV and film that you are consuming, the regular person. Each week, I will hopefully be getting a guest on to talk about the TV and film that they consume and that has affected them in any way, whether positively, negatively, something that has had a lasting memory or imprint on them. We're not just limited to TV and film either. We we talk about video games, comic books, books, music. But TV and film are a good place to start. And no doubt, like the title suggests, we'll go off on a tangent during that conversation. Uh, a few things to get out of the way first. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my at is JamesReese8. That's James RWS8. Uh, you can tweet me about the show. You can observe my ramblings about politics, TV and film, sport, rugby specifically. Uh, my immense disdain at the performances of West Ham United. Uh, you can also DM me about the show. Uh, talk about, you know, your TV and film experiences, any ideas you have, any ideas for segments you have. I'm all ears. This is all new to me. Uh, in the next few weeks, I'll set up an email for the show, make it a bit more easier to contact, where I can sort of track things easier. Um, and hopefully make a Twitter for the podcast as well. That's all the social medias out the way. Let's talk about the podcast, shall we? Uh, the podcast is a long time coming for me. Um, I've been listening to podcasts for a few years now. I think I was a bit late to the train. I'm, I'm very particular about the type of podcast I listen to. I don't really go into new podcasts. I'm not into the big mainstream ones either. Probably the biggest one I watch is a uh, or listen listen to rather is The Weekly Planet um by Mr. Sunday Movies. Uh talking about comic book news and comic book movies because that's that's where my interests lie. Um on the more niche side of it, I listen to a few rugby podcasts, um being a bit of a nose that I am uh so blood and mud podcast uh the squid rugby uh retrospective one he's doing currently on the twenty eleven world Cup i I've listened to a few of the house of rugby podcasts I'm not the biggest fan of them, but they do have some interesting topics uh same with the rugby pod as well I think I listen to that more for the the news and the rumors um some other more local ones the attacking scrum podcast. Uh, brilliant for Welsh rugby. Um, really enjoy that, especially the the lockdown ones he's been doing with various guests about their Dream 15s have been really interesting. Uh, I really, really recommend them. But to me, I wanted I always wanted to do a podcast and I wanted to try and steer away from a rugby one because I think that would be too easy for me. Um, and I think that market has become slightly more saturated now uh, and, and more power to them because I think that's a market that needs boosting up is the, is the rugby one. Um, But TV and film are are a big passion of mine and a big part of my life. But also talking to people is, and it's a bit ironic because I'm on my own in in my kitchen, in my student house. Um, But talking to people is a huge part of my day. Um, I talk to people every day um, and have conversations with them about the stuff they watch and consume and, how it, how it affects them. So I thought, why not have a marriage between the both? And each week I want to have a conversation with a regular person, whether that be one of my one of my close friends or um, someone who I'm acquainted with, maybe on Twitter, in, in the various circles that I'm in, um, about the media they, they consume. So each week I'm going to ask someone to bring four things to the table, and we're going to go from there. Um. So a bit of background, who am I? Um, my name is James. I'm a 22-year-old university student um, from Swansea in, in South Wales. Um, not really much to say about me. Like I said, I'm a, a huge rugby fan, sport fan in general, um, and a huge TV and film nerd. Uh, very, very much a geek, very much a, a, what I like to call a nose about a lot of things um i like to know about the lore and uh the history behind you know fictional things huge star wars fan harry potter you know these universes that are created by fantastic people i like to take a deep dive into and you know be about it um more on the social side i'm uh i play rugby play rugby with my university local club as well um I've got a fantastic you know support network of friends I'm a huge advocate for mental health um, a huge activist for uh, sort of LGBT rights uh, as well as obviously black lives matter which is now more than ever in, in more prevalent in the news um, I'm a fan of politics I don't like to get involved too much I have my own political views and you know that that may come across in in what my actual uh, media suggestions are in TV and film stuff because I think your politics influences what you watch a lot. Um but that's by the by who are, who I am you'll learn hopefully over the course of this podcast and I have no plans of finishing it but you'll learn who I am. So just a sort of brief rundown of what I want to do is I'm going to talk hopefully about 45 minutes about four pieces of media that I love. They're could be films, TV, video games, books, comic books, whatever. Four pieces of media that I've consumed that have had a lasting effect on me and what they mean to me. So let's dive into the first one. My first pick is a film called Pride. It came out in 2014. Uh, Pride is a fantastic film. It's directed by uh, Matthew Walkes, and to you know. Cut a long story short. It's about UK gay activists who worked to help miners during their lengthy strike of the National Union of Mine Workers in the summer of 1984. Um, It's got a fantastic cast uh, including uh, George McKay of 1917. You've got Joseph Gilgan of This Is England fame. You've got uh, Andrew Scott, Bill Nye, Imelda Staunton, all of Sherlock Harry Potter uh various things a fantastic cast for uh, for an independent film like this um it's really really good uh film really good cast i should say this film spoke to me uh, it's about the mining communities in south wales which if you grew up in the valleys in south wales like i did or just on the edge of the valleys, you see the effects that it had. And I, I come from two sides of the coin. Uh, my mother's side is English. Um, they, they grew up near London, you know, especially during the eighties and the Thatcher government, where maybe they weren't hit as hard. And on the other side, my father's side, who are all Welsh in the valleys. Um, my great uncle was a miner. Um, and many of his family were. But on the larger scale, you know the effects of various towns. I went to school in Port Talbot. Um, we're obviously famous for its steelworks, but also a huge mining community in the wider area. And sitting in the rugby clubs and, and the social clubs there, you get a sense of understanding of what that government did to the community, not just the mining community. They, They don't forget... And it's obvious. And that that rubs off on on the younger generation as well, because you have a a generation of, it's wrong to say left wing, because, you know, some of them aren't, but a generation that doesn't forget about what their ancestors went through. And this film is a reminder of that as well, but also it shows a wider scope and it's a very specific story of um, surrounding Mark Ashton and, and what he did in that, he organised a movement, a, sh- a solidarity movement between two parties with similar but very different views. You know, and that that's come across really well in the film, especially when they're in the social club. These mining communities are so isolated; all they know is themselves. They have the odd trip to Swansea or Cardiff, and then that's hinted at in the film. But these communities are. Of themselves whereas the uh, gay community in London is a huge scene you know the, the people come from all over you know the, the the fictional character of Joe he comes from Bromley into London just for his first gay pride march he's not out yet but he's there and this is all new to him and I think he, his story um portrayed wonderfully by by uh, McKay Sums up the experiences of both parties. They're both learning. And you have characters in this who are the, the glue that hold it together really. You have um Paddy Considine's character. Um is really good. You know, he he's the spokesperson for the mining community. He he's the one that goes to London and he thought, you know, he didn't know it was a gay community, but when he was there and he saw he didn't see um, their sexuality. He saw the fact that they were willing to stand with him against his government. Um So he thought, I'm going to take that risk and bring them back. And initially he's met with hostility. And he think, you know, why are a load of gay people in our predominantly male alpha mining club? You know, and then cut to five minutes later and the gay people are dancing with the girls in the club because the girls have never had anyone to dance with because all the men want to do is sit around drinking lager. And then you see two of the younger lads in the mining community, they, they're they like, how are these gay people getting all these girls? So they go up to them and said, can you teach me how to dance? They take that first step in breaking down barriers and realize they're not so different. You know, on the other side of the coin, then you've got the, the, the bigots family, you know, the family that are fundamentally opposed to this. Um, who say, you know, who see these adverts on the news about the AIDS pandemic that was supposedly happening. Um, who, who you know, who tried to sabotage this with tabloid newspapers. And, and that's sort of similar to, to Joe's family as well, who, who are very bigoted in their views and, are ignorant to 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 the struggles that Joe is going through as a, as a closeted gay man and then an openly gay man outcast by his family. Um so this film is 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 a show of solidarity. It's absolutely brilliant and you know it was nominated for a golden globe um should have been nominated for more baftas everything you know. Um Let's talk about uh, some other things from it. Standout scene in particular is um, a scene between uh, Bill Nye's character and Mel Staunton, and also uh, Andrew Scott's character. And uh, they're they're doing stuff in in the kitchen, just I think just making sandwiches or something. And he goes, you know, Mel Staunton goes away from him and. Uh, and just got a character who's, uh, who goes, I'm from Brill in North Wales. And Imelda Stoughton drops the knife. And, you know, she says, What? And it turns out she's, she's not bothered by the fact he's gay. She's bothered by the fact he's from North Wales. And I thought that's just a brilliant use of Welsh humour. Because if you don't know, in South Wales, we have a complicated relationship with the North. Um,. Not always the easiest, but it's all in good jest. But I thought that that's just a brilliant breakup of tension in this film because at any point one of the characters characters could turn around and say, "I'm a bigot or I'm ignorant to, to this and I don't agree with your sexuality and how you live your life." And and I think that's a constant reminder of what LGBT people go through every day. Is someone they think they can trust and turn around and say, I don't like you because you like a certain sex or because you identify as something that I don't and you're not a cis heterosexual person. So that scene for me was just brilliant. And and later on, you know, I'm not, there is spoilers in this, but later on in the film, uh, you find out Bill Nye's character is, is closeted gay and he's an older man in the mining community, and you know, and, and, and everyone knew, but they didn't like uh, Cliff, the character's name, for his sexuality. They liked him because he was a standout member of their community. He was a huge part of the mining community. He did a whole lot. He, he was a, a figurehead for them, but it never mattered. He was gay. Uh, and that's a really touching moment. And moving away from sort of the, the South Wales Valley stuff, the stuff that I can relate to, talking to people about pride, and uh, one of the reasons I bring it up is because I did a gap year, um, where uh, in one of my presentations I talked about um, LGBT uh, rights and and things like that, and my experience with it, um, and I talked about pride to a group of teenagers from ranging from about sixteen to twenty two. And, and the film resonated with a lot of people because they hadn't heard of it to begin with. You know, LGBT films aren't necessarily ones that hit the mainstream. Um, not unless they're big budget Hollywood ones. I like love Simon or call me by your name or things like that. But when I talked to them about it, uh, they, they watched it and they just realized that this is more down to earth interpretation. And one of the scenes that people often come back to me and said, I watched the film and this is the one that stuck out to me was, the scene between um, Mark Ashton, uh, the character Mark Ashton, and Russell Tovey's character, who makes a very small cameo in this, um, a, a brilliant openly gay actor himself of, of British fame. Uh, and they talk about Russell Tovey's character has been diagnosed with HIV, AIDS, and he doesn't have long left to live. So he's going out and a party and there's no tomorrow. And they meet on the stairs of a gay club and he talks to him about it, and Russell Toby's character is obviously conflicted with feelings of love and hate and things like this. And you can see in Schnetz's eyes that this is the reality of his life. He's got to stand up and speak for those who can't, because he's got he's going to die. Basically, he's you know he thinks he's got uh, this, this horrible, debilitating disease. During the eighties, had no sort of suppressive medication for it. That that's just powerful and it's a, it's, a, it's a reminder of what you know gay men which is predominantly what this is about have to go through and you know they, gay men can't give blood within three months of having sex but they've also got to worry about the spread of horrible horrible disease as well as the ignorance of the general public especially during that time period of you know Am I going to be attacked for just leaving or entering a pub, for owning a bookstore? Like Gethin's character, you know, it gets bricked and fireworked and whatnot just for existing. And they go about it like it's a daily occurrence. And that that film makes you think, and, and, and as it should, you know, it should make you think because that's what a good, you know, that's what a good film will do, and and a great film will make you talk about it afterwards you know this story is true and obviously things are taken out of context and dramatized and whatnot and that's fine but the main premise of the story is true and the and the Delice valley is 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 a valley that i'm familiar with i played there multiple times uh, before i round out about pride i do have a few more quotes about it and sort of why I like this film it, the dialogue is brilliant and like I said it's it's a character driven narrative so the first one is um Paddy Constantine's character um Di, giving the speech in the gay bar initially about why they should come help so Dai says I've had a lot of new experiences during this strike speaking in public standing on the picket line and now I'm in a gay bar and Jonathan's character shouts out well if you don't like it you can go home so Dai responds with, as a matter of fact, I do like it. He says, the beer's a bit expensive, mind. But there's really only one difference between this bar and a bar in South Wales. The women. They're a lot more feminine in here. But then what he he goes on to say is, if you're one of the people that's put money in these buckets, if you've supported LGSM, then thank you, because that what you've given us is much more than money, and it's friendship. And when you're in... When you're in a battle against an enemy so much bigger, so much stronger than you, or to find out you had a friend you knew never existed, that's the best feeling in the world. So thank you. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant bit of writing, because it establishes the link between LGSM and the the mining community, and and the breeding ground of a a, a brilliant friendship. And And I won't talk more about the film's plot, because I think you need to watch it to understand and I bought um, a novelization slash history book about the film, which had interviews with the characters and whatnot. So, that was Pride 2014, directed by Mark Walkers. Uh, That is number one of my media recommendations this week. That is a film. So let's move on to actually a video game. This video game is something that's very important to me, and it's actually the Spider-Man game. On PS1. This is very old. Very, very old. So, Spider-Man, uh, the video game, was released in 2000. And it's obviously based on the very popular superhero, The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, released on the PS1. Uh, as well as various other systems. But that's why I have it on. Or had it on, I should say. Um, but this is the game that got me into superheroes. The game that I fell in love with the superhero genre. And I can remember the first level vividly. And the cutscenes, and the characters and the dialogue. And, it, and this is actually the opposite of what I was talking about earlier. It's actually a narrative-driven game but with amazing characters. And the narrative is brilliant because the narrative is cause and effect. It causes something that affects how Spider-Man is. So the basic premise of the game is that um, Spider-Man goes to each level trying to reach the exit or complete a certain objective. Obviously, you've got your web slingers, your web shooters, and all that jazz. And it features an array of not just Spider-Man characters, but Marvel characters this was before all who owned who and Disney owned Marvel and Universal and Fox and whatnot. So, you know, there's a scene where, uh, they're playing cards with Captain America and Daredevil, you know, and human torch turns up and you can go to the Baxter building. And I, I I just remember reading about this in magazines and, and and then owning it and having that feeling of swinging with Spider-Man and, it's based heavily on the 994 series as well, the, my favourite Spider-Man series. I'm going to talk about hopefully in the future. You know, the first level where you, you go to the the bank with the Jade Syndicate. I remember as a kid that you know you walk around a corner, there's an enemy there, and you decide what to do, and it's absolutely brilliant. And as you go through the game, you uh, you encounter more and more characters. You encounter in my opinion, the best incarnation of Venom that we've ever seen. You know, he's this absolutely lovable goofball, but he's also a psychotic and just almost Joker-esque character. Furthermore, you've got some, you know, Rhino, Scorpion, Carnage. You know, I won't spoil where these people turn up, but it's just so, so good. And that's when my love of Spider-Man came. Spider-Man's probably my favorite superhero of all time. He, I've watched all the films, you know, seen the TV shows, read the comic books and all the lore and things like that. And the character Peter Parker is is, is a fascinating one. And the character of Spider-Man is probably even more fascinating, and especially all the ones that have come after him, like Miles Morales, Ben Reilly... Uh, Miguel O'Hara, things like that. But this one, it, it, despite this Spider-Man game, and the sequel's good. I, I played the sequel. It was okay. Um, but this game was absolutely brilliant. I, I don't have a bad thing to say about it. You know, I remember with my cousin talking about the cheats you can put in and the different costumes you had. Uh, you know, the, the, Cap- the Spider-Man, like Captain Universe one, the amazing Bagman uh, I think some other ones you had uh 2099 Spider-Man, who was very new at the time. You had Spider-Man Unlimited. Uh, I think it was the future Spider-Man in, in sort of the same vein as Batman Beyond. But I think when when you have a character like that and has so many different personas, you you start to picture yourself in that character. And I think it's easy to picture yourself as, as a character of Spider-Man because he wears a mask, so anyone could be under that mask you know it's different with someone like batman or superman or wonder woman because you can see their face you know and you know that they're white or um for example uh Martian manhunter's his, his not alien persona is black you know when when you have a character that has a, a set of skin tone it's very hard for a person to uh to visualise themselves and is obviously harder for, for BAME, uh, Black, Asian, you know, ethnic minorities, whatnot, to, to visualise themselves as superheroes because there isn't enough representation. That's a whole different topic. But with the character Spider-Man, it was intentionally written so that anyone could be Spider-Man. All that matters is you have courage and you stand up for what's right and you put on the mask. And that's what this game was about to me. It was about when Spider is beating up the Jade Syndicate in the bank, I imagine myself doing that. It's me saving the day. Because that's what Spider Man's about. It's it's about inspiring people to do good and stand up and I think the uh the Sam Raimi Spider Man films do that, especially the second one. You know, all the memes saying careful he's a hero but he's right, you know, Spider Man does a lot of things wrong. He makes a lot of mistakes. As, as though they're not good, the amazing Spider-Man films are good at that as well. They highlight Peter's incompetence at in a lot of things. Probably, the MCU one is, is different because Peter is probably the height of his powers, but not to the height of his experience and knowledge as a hero. And he's constantly learning, and and you know you're supposed to take these lessons in and, and be be a better person or be a better Spider-Man. So that was Spider-Man PS1. Um a great great part of my childhood and something that's had a a very big impact and a love that I've taken very much later into life. I'm going to take a quick break and come back and we're actually going to talk about Star Wars and I'm going to try not to ramble on because I realize everyone really called in for about nearly half an hour and I said 45 minutes. It may go on for about an hour. And we're back. So, uh, in the previous segment, I talked about uh, one film and a video game that uh, really affected me. So we talked about Pride and we talked about Spider-Man on the PS1. Now we're going to talk about Star Wars. Uh, This is a murky subject. One full of opinion and a lot of divisive opinions. But I want to talk about Star Wars and its effect on me. And I grew up with the prequels as my uh, instant gateway into Star Wars. So um, Episode Two and probably Episode Three is the one I remember the most, and coincidentally my favourite. Um, but I love all Star Wars. I love all the films, all the TV shows. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a definitively bad Star Wars property. There are some that are better than others. Uh, and although the sequel era I love, it. it I, I would have changed a lot of things. But I don't hate the story that we got, and I don't hate the characters. And I think that it's just a case of tweaking certain things. We live in a world where Star Wars is readily available to us. And there's something I learned when watching the Mandalorian documentary series on Disney+. Plus. Where they talk a lot about the process and their references to the Mandalorian from from wider media and also Star Wars itself, and that really summed up why I love the franchise is because it's it's an amalgamation of all our culture and and from ranging right back from 1977 when the first one came out, right up until you know right now when this one you know the rise of skywalker and the mandalorian have just released um and it's it's a medium of film i don't think will ever go away or a medium of storytelling as well because it's told stories to technically three generations and i think that that's just wonderful and the longevity of it is is outstanding So, um, Star Wars, like I said, the original Star Wars uh, was released in 1977. uh, A New Hope, starring Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, um, as well as Alec Guinness and um, James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader. Um, From there, two more were released, Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi. And then in the late 90s... um, Star Wars A Phantom Menace was released, um, beginning the prequel era. So technically, it was the first episode of Star Wars. From that, you then had uh, Attack of the Clones, and then that finished Revenge of the Sith. So Star Wars fans now had six feature-length films. Uh, From that, there two major TV shows spawned. You had the original animated Clone Wars series in, I think, 2003... And then you also had uh, The Clone Wars, which launched in 2008. Um, the Clone Wars now is considered uh, canon, so it means it's in continuity. It's Everything that happens in that show is uh, true to the Star Wars universe. Following on from that then, you had um, some storyline films. So um, you had Han Solo, uh, which was a Star Wars story set where Han Solo was a younger man, and got, before he acquired the Millennium Falcon, meeting Chewbacca. Um, that was a brilliant film. Then you also had Rogue One, which is set in between Episode 3 and Episode 4. You also had The Mandalorian, which is released. And that's not even counting the the, the array of video games we've had as well, You know, ranging all the way back from Knights of the Old Republic, the Battlefront games, the, the most recent Battlefront games, The books or the TV shows. Star Wars is a a, a medium that's crossed over every form of media. It it is the biggest franchise. And it's the best franchise. Um, I want to talk about what's had an effect on me though. And one of the main things is the music. Now Star Wars was composed almost entirely by uh, John Williams legendary UK music uh, composer and his score on all of the feature length films speaks to people you know think of the iconic Star Wars music you have in the Imperial March you have Duel of the Fates um, Across the Stars um, Ray's Theme you know all these fantastic pieces of music that if you shut your eyes you can still imagine what's happening you know if you you imagine duel of the fates but you can't see it you know what's happening because of the music you know there's an intense lightsaber duel um same with the, the music and Anakin and Obi-Wan's fight in episode three on the flip side of that you know you could tell when it's a love song or when Obi-Wan's theme comes on because it's commanding and sort of glorious compared to the likes of Ray's theme, which is a bit more gentle and almost curious in a way, as her character is written. You know, as, as the scavenger mystery, almost. And that's what Star Wars is to me. It's it's whatever angle you come into it. You come in through the music, and then the visuals come second. You know, the music shapes and how this scene is going to play out for you. You know, it, it's absolutely breathtaking and all good film franchises have the music to back it up and and the other one that springs to mind is the harry potter universe that has again john williams among others fantastic music that that convey the world you're in and, and almost shape the form of it you know it's the outline of that world and the music is something i've carried with me throughout my life and something i listen to not on a daily basis but on a regular you know basis of this makes me feel something, and that you know, and then I go to watch the films, and looking at scenes and and you know the the, the original ones in in the seventies and eighties, you can get past sometimes the, the the corny acting and whatnot, and look at the iconic imagery, and world building and detail, you know. All based off the, the the art, the concept art by Ralph McQuarrie, and then you know, the division by George Lucas. To to down to then to the performances, especially by I think that the standout in that trilogy is Carrie Fisher for me. She is absolutely fantastic. I I've never seen someone evolve as a character like she did from the first minute you see her as this princess but then she she speaks she's an independent woman and uh, and for a woman to be that powerful and prominent in in that time period a time period where hollywood Mm -hmm. was very much male dominated so her society was male dominated it it was just refreshing to see and to see her stand up for herself and then that carries through to to the the second and the third film of that that era ending with her, not as Princess Leia, but as General Leia. And one of the things that the sequels does really well is reminding you that she is General Leia Organa, not Princess Leia Organa. And, and that, that storyline is echoed throughout the Clone Wars TV series with Padme. She gives up the role of Queen Amidala. She's Senator Amidala. She's a working politician but she's she's a woman of action rather than words you know she's a she's the template for what a modern politician should be or what a politician should be you know so you have these strong two strong female arcs running right throughout their respective eras you know obviously mother and daughter and then you get on to the the male uh characters and and the the one i keep coming back to is obi-wan he is an enigma of a character. He's this... In the, when you meet him, he's, he's a, a bold, abrasive, cocky, young Padawan who makes headstrong decisions. And then you watch his evolution from that to when he's a Jedi Knight with in Episode 2, when he's still that headstrong Jedi, but he's a lot more calm and he's a lot more methodical, then you get to episode three and he's almost like a wise old man. You know, he's at the height of his Jedi ability. He's he's a master. He's on the Jedi council. He, he has this best friend, his brother in Anakin. And, and when you go back and watch the clone wars, that, that bridge between two and three, you see Obi-Wan's evolution and, and what shaped him into that person. You're know, losing the one he loved. You know that forbidden love that Jedi aren't allowed. That that shapes him as a as a human. Um, you know his his skills with a lightsaber and, and the Force are almost secondary to the to the person he is. He's almost a diplomat in that sense. He's someone who uses humor and wit and brilliant ideas to get out of a situation, rather than the flip side. You got Anakin, who's a warrior but doesn't want to be. Uh, and there's some great theory videos and analysis videos on YouTube um, about Anakin. And I think, but the best one is Dave Filoni, the uh, the man behind the Clone Wars. And if you, it's on the gallery, the Mandalorian making of series, where he talks about the importance of Duel of the Fates and the importance of Anakin... And Obi-Wan in his life. Now the Jedi Code is all Anakin knows. Remember he was a slave boy on Tatooine. That's all he knows It is the Jedi Code. So when the Jedi Code is consistently challenged and broken. He's conflicted. And you see that rubs off on Ahsoka. And Ahsoka is someone I want to come on to in a minute. But wow. You know you have two characters, Anakin and Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan is someone who believes in the code and the Jedi, and he still believes in the the good that they do, and and realizes that, yes, they've become these soldiers, but they're still this ancient religion of the Force that they should have been. And in a way, Obi-Wan was born in the wrong era. He should have been... Someone in the Old Republic or the High Republic era. Hundreds or thousands of years before he was. You know, there's a reason Yoda had so much trust in him. is because he was one of them Jedi. He wasn't a, a warrior like Anakin, a soldier. So let's move on to Ahsoka. Character brought in during the Clone Wars as Anakin's apprentice... And who, almost 10 years later, is probably the most beloved character in all of Star Wars. For good reason as well. She is a well-written, well-acted, well-rounded character with clear motivations. She acts between the bridge of the Jedi that we know and the Jedi that should be. She is a, what's what we call a grey Jedi. In that she is a good person, but balances the light and the dark. I loved Ahsoka from the start. I thought she was a brilliant character and, you know, she uses two lightsabers and that's cool. It was only when I got to Star Wars Rebels and the end of what we now know as the Clone Wars... You see the character that she is. You see the the person, the the person behind the Jedi, basically. the The conflicted emotions that she has, because like like Anakin, only all she knows is the Jedi code. And um, when that code is challenged, you become conflicted. You know, when you see injustice on the, on the TV or you read about it, you your ideologies become conflicted. And that's exactly what Ahsoka went through. You know, She was wrongly convicted of a crime that she didn't do and then stopped believing in the Jedi Code. She didn't stop believing in the Force. But she exiled herself. And, you know, when you meet her in Rebels, she's this seasoned veteran of a character. And The Mandalorian Season 2 is coming up, in which Rosario Dawson is pretty much confirmed as the live-action version of Ahsoka. You know, and it, and it's another rung in her ladder and we see her arc as she evolves into this master jedi very much i think her character is very much based off the character of satil shan from the old republic era um a very wise person all they want to do is for the good of others and i, I again i come back to the sort of the spiderman analogy you can imagine yourself as a jedi you know, twirling a lightsaber and defeating Sith. But you can also imagine yourself as a Jedi, as someone who's wise and wants to make the right decision for those around them. And that's what Ahsoka is. She, she is that anyone can be this Jedi, but you should aspire to be Ahsoka. And that, that that's just a brief dip into what I love about Star Wars because it's a fantastic medium. And I think there's there's something for everyone. You know, I have a friend, uh one of my very close friends, Ross, is a big military fan. And he adores the Clone Wars era, we call it the prequel era. Because there's all this war and he's not, you know, a lover of war, but he loves the the military side of it. But then I've also got other friends who enjoy the original series because they like it because it's it's more of a space western and a space opera. Uh, and it's very narrative-driven rather than character-driven. But then you've also got people like me who... I like all Star Wars, but I love the idea of a rebel insurgents... Going up against the, the, the oppressive status quo. That's brilliant to me. But then I've learned to love the little things. Like the Mandalorian being a Western. You know, this samurai and the cub-inspired story and I think Star Wars has an entry point for everyone. So if you haven't seen Star Wars, this is what I'd recommend is I'd watch the original trilogy first. See what everyone is on about. Watch A New Hope. If you like it, then I'd start from episode one and I'd work my way through to episode nine. Because I think you'll have a clear understanding of what's happening in nine episodes. And then if you still like Star Wars... Go and watch the other films like Rogue One, Solo. Um, Then, you know, also watch in The Clone Wars, um, Rebels, uh, Resistance. You know, find a Star Wars medium that you like. Because I guarantee there is one. Uh, And when you find it, you will. So that was Star Wars. Uh, One of my greatest loves in life. Um, I hopefully didn't talk too much, but I think I talked for about 15 minutes, which is probably about an hour and 15 less than I normally talk about Star Wars. Um, so we're now going to go talk about my final, uh, TV show actually. And that is Daredevil. Now Daredevil is a Marvel superhero. Uh, it was a TV show released on Netflix as part of the Marvel Netflix deal, um, this is, a, this is a tough watch. Not because it's a horrible series, because it's such a deep series. It makes you think. Now, you can sit back and look at it just as an action show. It's a man dressed up in red, beating up bad guys, and wanted to take down a notorious villain. You can look at it like that. But then you take a step further back and see... It's, it's a show about conflict and faith and religion. and religion basically plays a big part in it. It's, it's something that is one of the things that actually drew me to it. And each season has an exploration of cause and effect and why why does he have to do this? So just the premise of it is uh, Matt Murdoch is uh, a lawyer by day. He's blind. Uh, From an accident from a young boy. Uh, When he was young. uh, A truck carrying toxic waste crashed. And he was blinded. But through that he gained heightened senses. Almost like sonals. His superpowers basically. And he was uh, raised by a mysterious warrior. To become this, this all out fighter. After becoming a lawyer. He discovers a conspiracy um, in his sort of borough of Hell's Kitchen in New York, uh, led by a criminal mastermind, uh, Wilson Fisk, or the Kingpin. And each season is about Hit Matt getting closer to Kingpin to, to take him down. And he crosses paths with the other street-level heroes in the Marvel Universe, in Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and uh, Danny Rand Fist, as well as John Bernthal's The Punisher um matt's a broken man uh, a a catholic lives by staunch moral principles but struggles with them every day because he he feels he has a duty to to people to to save the innocent to protect the innocent you know the first episode is perfect because it it sets up matt as a as a likable character and then he goes and mercilessly beats down a bunch of goons who are human trafficking this this show has as a as a fantastic cast and and you know from from charlie cox um as D- matt murdoch to the outstanding vincent d'onofrio to then other other, other characters sort of um the side ones like Eldon Hansen's Foggy Nelson. Uh, fun fact Eldon Hansen was one of the Bash brothers in Mighty Duck series. You've got people like uh, Rosario Dawson, uh, the live action uh, Ahsoka Tano, as uh, Night Nurse Claire Temple. Um, You have uh, John Burnsell's Frank Castle or The Punisher. A brilliant, uh, again, a complicated. Uh, uh, character but this show is a window into the wider um, Marvel universe That that isn't just all vibranium and lasers and over the top alien action scenes, it's actually just a man in a suit running around one borough of New York trying to stop people from being mugged or raped. Because that's the real injustices going on. And they make reference to the, the huge events in New York and, and the effect it had on the community. But they, they look at the, the huge problem of, you know, organized crime. And it's something that I think is not explored enough. And as a Catholic myself really drew me to this character because I have conflicted morals about things you know my sense of duty and purpose conflicts with what my religion says and it's exactly the same with Matt and how they handle the the scenes involving the Catholic Church is, is fantastic especially season 3 watch it I really urge people to watch this show because a it's a superhero show you know there's a man in a cool costume with batons beating people up, but there's also an overarching narrative of conflict and hurt and real human performances. Netflix dropped the ball with this show they they you know they they had a, one of the most popular things on the platform and it's gone. you know Marvel reacquired the rights at the end of 2020. And what they do with it will be interesting because there's big rumours about he'll be appearing in a Spider-Man film, uh, a character he's closely associated with, as well as a um, appearing in future Avengers franchises. Maybe as just a lawyer as Matt Murdock, but he it will never live up to the standards that Daredevil has set, uh, and that that worries me because you have to watch the show to to know it, but. God, it's good. It's so good. And that's all I can say about it, really. And I I haven't talked for long about this because I don't want to make it too long. But oh my, watch this show. I I, seriously, it's 13 episodes a series, three series on Netflix. Fantastic. And if you do watch the show, tweet me at JamesRace8 and tell me what you think about it because I I guarantee you, you will enjoy it. So I think that gonna be it for today um, I'm gonna to wrap it up um, really sort of enjoyable first recording of this podcast and I hope it comes out great um, I've probably aired it a lot but please give me feedback you know I lo- I love uh, constructive feedback don't just abuse me that's not nice uh, before we go um, like I said James Reese Eight on Twitter um, just for now until I get everything set up. Um, I'm definitely going to be recording hopefully one more of these with um, one of my close friends, Bowen, um, which will be a very interesting chat. Bowen has um, some great opinions on a lot of things and is a very, is a very clever bloke. Um, uh, and that, that, I think that will come through in his, his stuff. Um, and then I've contacted a few more people and hopefully we have a few more lined up in the next coming weeks. So this has been the Off on a Tangent podcast with me, James. I hope you all have a fantastic day in whatever you're doing, and I shall see you all very soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.